Happy Super Bowl Sunday. It's a national holiday, right? Come on. Just in case you're wondering, I am the guy who won the bet. My name's Jeremy. Um, I'm a fanatical football fan, and I'm also a volunteer here at Restoration. I consider the volunteering probably more important, except for today. Just kidding. <laughs> if you're uh, new here or you just uh, haven't been here in a while, I wanted to let you know that we're ending a series this week called uh, On Purpose, where we look at what it means to live a life of significance. Uh, we started off the series by <clears throat> talking about having the right def- definition of significance, having the right target. Um, we went on our second week to talking about living a life of service. It's not, having a life of significance is not about seeking our own glory. It's about setting ourselves aside, picking up a towel, and serving others. Uh, then we talked about how in our journey of a life of significance, we all face obstacles. And what the Bible says is to trust God and look towards him. Then last week, we talked about how having community around us plays a vital role in our life of significance. This week, we're going to talk about the, the results of a life of significance. We all want to matter. Deep down, whether we know it or not, whether we recognize it or not, even if we, whether we like it or not, we all have this deep desire to be significant. And significant people live intentionally. They live on purpose. So today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 17, as Rob said. And before we do, let me give you a little bit of a lead-in. If you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus who followed him around while he was uh, doing his earthly ministry here on earth. But he also was one of the very, very few three people who were with Jesus almost all the time. He was kind of the inner circle of that 12. And so John has a unique perspective to share with us. And uh, chapter 17 is a prayer. And when it's taking place is is towards the end of his life. Um, He's had the last supper, shared a meal with the disciples that that morning. In the afternoon, he had walked with Jesus or with the disciples and had been teaching them. He prays this prayer. They walk to another place across the Kidron Valley. He gets betrayed. He gets arrested. He gets crucified hours after this, just after this happens. So putting this in context, this prayer is significant. It's not a little prayer. It's one of the very last things that Jesus does. This is huge. We're not going to be reading the whole prayer because it's a lot. We're focusing on one thread. So at one point in the service, we're going to jump ahead about nine verses. Don't let that distract you, okay? Go home and read it. It's really good. So we're going to start this off by pointing out the very first verse Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. He's literally saying, Dad, this is it. We're almost done with this, but not quite yet. I have to pray so that my disciples are standing here. They're listening. They're figuring out why what I'm about to say is so important. So let's pick up in verse 3. Jesus says, This is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now it's common in our culture today to really, really not like absolute statements. Nobody wants to be told what's right and what's wrong because what's right and wrong is all up to the person, right? Well, Jesus tells us right here that the only way 
the only, the, I'm sorry, the only way to eternal life and to know God is through him. See, what we don't realize is absolute statements aren't just not popular today. They've never been popular. No one's ever liked it. It's not just us. It's everybody across history. But it's when we put our faith and our trust in him, that's when we have eternal life. We have to put our faith and trust in him and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. This is not only the goal, but this is the essence of, an, of a life of significance. True significance is eternal life. It's first by believing and trusting in Jesus. And I know that's not popular at all. But remember, popular has never been a requirement of truth. Whether you've been in church or you've never been in church, none of us deserve eternal life. And so it's nothing for us to be proud of. It's something for us to embrace but not be prideful about. Then Jesus says, I have completed the work you gave me to do. Now, this was really funny when we were studying this. I thought the work that he was here to do was to die on the cross. And it was, and I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But Jesus says before that, that he completed the work that he was sent here to do. Well, why would he do that? He actually tells us in verse 6. So let's read that. I have revealed you to the, one you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. Jesus says to God, they were always yours. You gave them to me. Jesus recognizes God's authority in this way. You gave me a message, God. I shared it with them. My disciples believed, and they accepted it. Now it's their turn. So Jesus continues in verse 9. My prayer is not for the world, but for those, of, those you have given me, because they belong to you. Once Jesus' disciples accepted his message, they belong to God. Now verse 10 through 19 is the part we're going to jump ahead from. And uh, Jesus prays that they won't just keep it to themselves. So that's important. But I recommend you go home and read it because it's awesome. It's a great prayer. But we're going to go right to verse 20 where Jesus says, I am praying not only for all these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now, you guys didn't know you were famous, did you? Because when he said, I'm praying for all those who will ever believe, that's us. He's talking about us right there. That should be significant to us. That is huge. He's talking about you in the Bible. The second part of this verse, Jesus says through their message. He didn't say his message. I think we seem to think that the gospel and the story of Jesus is his message, but it's not. He gave it to us because it impacts us. It's our message. We have a message to give. Our message is, of course, first Jesus but then what did Jesus do to us when we gave our life to him? When we believed in who he was and who sent him, how did that change our life? That's our story. And when we share that story, that's how other people will come to believe that he was who he said he was and that he can change their life the way that he changed ours. Each of us is different, so each of our stories are going to be different and each one of our stories are going to reach different people. But it requires us first and foremost to speak. We have to share our message about Jesus with others. This is the hard part for most of us. 
I don't know about you guys, but I love to let my lifestyle speak Jesus. I love to just be a great person as much as I can anyways, love people and not do bad things, and then let people see Jesus in me. It's a whole lot easier than opening my mouth and telling someone what I believe. But you know what? We have to be willing to get rejected by speaking what we believe as well as living what we believe. Because we don't want to miss the opportunity to also use our voice to share Jesus. We have to combine both together. It's not an either or, it's a both and. In verse 21, Jesus continues, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Jesus prays that, we're all, that we will all be in him. Being one with him is not a physical thing, obviously. It's a spiritual thing. It's an emotional thing. It's not sameness, it's oneness. It's when we care about what he cares about. So what is God's heart? What does God care about? What's his passion? What does he love more than anything else? If we can answer that, then we know what it means to be in him. It means to grow to love what he loves. So what does God love? It's appropriate that Super Bowl Sunday we talk about John 3.16. How many games do people hold up signs, John 3.16? Do you guys know it? Can you, are you willing to say it with me? It's here, I hope. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So if that's God's passion and that's his heart, what does that mean for each one of us? How do we know if we're in him? It's pretty simple to talk about. It's hard to do. How do we feel about people? Can you imagine how God feels if you had a child who was living on the streets, homeless, hungry, addicted to a drug or a pill? Or if you had a child who was born and raised in another country and didn't have enough food, was starving to death, literally? How would that make your heart feel? How do we feel about that? If we're in him, the idea of that and the picture of that hurts a little bit. Our heart can literally break for what breaks his. Back to verse 21. We read the first part. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. But it continues. It says, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. The reason Jesus wants us to be in him is so that the world will know that God sent him and that they'll come to believe in him and have eternal life. The result of a significant life is that the world knows Jesus through you and through me. Because God's heart is for people. He so desperately wants to have a relationship with everybody that he sent his one and only son Jesus reveals himself to his followers and then says his work is done. His work is done. Ours is not. He then prays that his followers would speak their message of eternal life so that people would believe. Then those people would also share their message so that others would believe. And one day, someone shares their message and you believe and I believe. 
And do you know what the next part is? We share our message so that others can believe. That's the plan. That's what a significant life is. It's God's plan, and it's his only plan. We can't just live our lives worrying about ourselves, consuming stuff. We have to have God's heart. We have to be in him. And that's, again, when we care about what he cares about. When we live a life consumed with helping others find God, this is being one with him. Last week, Rob used a pitcher of water to talk about how we live in community. If you were here, you probably remember it. You're not allowed to zone out, okay? Because there's more. If you weren't here, we're going to demonstrate it a little differently, which means I need four volunteers. At, At the first service, I had 30 people up here fighting over it, believe it or not. That didn't happen. I need four people to come up here now, please. And if you don't, I'm going to pick you. Come on up here. You can come up here, bud. If you don't come up here, I'm going to pick you. Do we have a lot of odds players? All right, cool. Chris, take a cup. There you go, buddy. Sean. John, you get the pitcher. Pour a little bit in your cup because this symbolizes God filling us with living water. In the Bible, Jesus talked about how living water represents our life in Christ and how when we draw to him, it's like living water for us. Now, John has, God has poured some living water in John. What is John going to do? He's going to pour some living water in Sean because what God gave him, he freely gives to others. Now he's going to give the pitcher to Sean because Sean gets to pour some water in Aaron Rodgers here. And then Aaron Rodgers gets to pour some water in Chris. Can you get it? There you go, bud. This is what we talked about last week. Living in community means sharing what God has given us with the other people that are in our community here. It means being in a life group. It means doing life together. It means giving living water that you've been given to those around you. And now we take it one step further. What happens when someone is by, by our side or around us who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't have living water like my friend Julie? What do we do then? Do we stand here, get in a huddle, and pour living water amongst ourselves? Or do we go to her and give living water to her? Give them a round of applause. We're, you guys can sit down. See, God doesn't just fill up our cup with living water for us. Oh, thank you. He doesn't just fill up our cup of living water just for us. He does it for us, of course, but he does it so that we can have something to give to other people. He does it for us and for those around us. The lost, the hurting, the broken people who are in this world who don't know him. One thing I'm constantly having to remind myself of is that it is not about me. God didn't give me what he had, has given me just for me. He gave it to me so I can share it. Like my kindergarten teacher taught me, if you don't have enough for everybody. But the beauty, beautiful part of this is, is that God gives you enough and you can go back and get more so that you never run out. And when, and when we give it using our lifestyles and our words, that's when it makes a big difference. That's when we can see a life of significance and when we can see a world changed. I read a story this week about a young lady named Amy. Amy lived in Washington State um, several years ago. 
She found herself with no family, no friends, and had lost her job. She got behind on her rent and couldn't pay her bills. So she called the United Way asking them if they had any people who could help her because she had a huge need in her life. She was going to get evicted. They gave her a long list, and Amy called every last one on the list except for the church. See, Amy had grown up in the Baha'i faith, and her opinion of Christians were that they were self-centered, that they were judgmental, that they were exclusive. She desperately did not want to go to the church, but she ran out of options and figured she had nothing to lose. So she called the church and set up a meeting to sit with the elders. She sat down with them and was completely honest with them. She said, first, before we say anything, I want you to know I have no interest in Jesus or Christianity or your church or you, and I never will. They started to tell her that Jesus was the only way to the to know God and to have eternal life. And in her own words, she got really upset, started arguing with them, and they told her, we don't want want to argue with you, but if we didn't tell you this, we wouldn't be doing our job. After about 10 minutes of explaining her situation, how she lost her job because she got addicted to drugs and alcohol and was about to be evicted, they asked her to wait outside while they prayed and talked about it. She thought for sure, there's no way these people are going to help me. I mean, I got myself into this. I mean, I got addicted to drugs and alcohol, and it's my fault, and now I'm here, and there's no way they're going to help me. She was shocked when they walked out with a check to be mailed to her landlord. They also gave her a Bible, and she went home. She put the Bible on her shelf. Three years passed. She never looked at it. Over those three years, she moved to Minnesota. Amy made a friend with a lady she worked with who was a Christian, this friend allowed her to ask tough questions and be open and honest about her doubt because she started to question her own, the faith that she thought she had. Amy questioned and talked with her about almost everything. This friend listened. She didn't try and give her the easy answer. She just shared her message. This finally led Amy to pick up her Bible. She started reading it and it, As she said, she got hooked. She couldn't put it down. So she found a church in the area, started going, got involved in a study group. The study group allowed her to ask questions. They didn't pressure her. They didn't make her feel bad. A year later, Amy was telling her story in church one Sunday, and this is what she said. Today, even though it has taken four years, the love shown by that church in Washington has led me to believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for me, and not only for me, but for all of us. I am truly forgiven and truly loved by God. And I got to say, there was a time when I didn't know that. He has come into my heart and made me whole. This whole story started with some Christians living on purpose. A small group of people saying, this is eternal life, to know Jesus and who sent him. A few people who believed that the result of living a life of significance is that the world around them would know and see Jesus. A group of people called Christians who know that true significance is not just loving God or loving each other, but having the heart of God and sharing it with others. They spoke the truth to her even when she wasn't interested and told them that. Not in a pushy way, but gracefully. They showed her love. They gave her a Bible. They met a need. They were Jesus to Amy. 
And the end of the story is a life changed for eternity. That's significance. This is what Jesus tells us a life of significance is all about. People finding eternal life through him. God wants our significance to result in others finding him. Will we put our significance in dedicating our lives to seeing others find a relationship with God so that they can have eternal life? We all have our own Amy's. People who are lost, hurting, standing next to us, living next to us. They need something that they don't even recognize they need, and most of them will tell you they don't want it. But we can be like that church in Washington that shared their message, that God loves people and wants them to know him. Restoration, this is why we exist. This church was started because the Amy's around us don't want to come to church. They want, but we want to be a church and a group of people that can go to the Amy's that God has given us. Remember, they belong to him, but God may have placed them in our lives for us to speak our message so that they can believe. Be a friend that allows an Amy to ask tough questions. Sit and wonder together. Look at the Bible together. To sit with other Christians and share our message. We want to be a place where an Amy can see and hear of how we each came to believe in Jesus and how that changed our life where we pray that Amy can see Jesus and be restored by him. The funny thing is, we never know what part we're going to play. The church in Washington had no idea what happened to Amy after they gave her the check in the Bible. It's only because she wrote him a letter that they found out. See, God gave us a plan to see significant things happen around us. And that plan is you. It's me. It's us together. Choosing. to follow Christ and to share our message. So as we close this series, we want to ask some questions that we want you to take with you and think about, consider for your life. Who has God put in your life that does not know him? Just like our example here, let's open our eyes to those around us and give them the living water that God has given us. How will you pray for an opportunity to speak your message? the message of John 3.16 and what it has done to you. Because the bottom line is you never know who your Amy is. You guys can come up. Let's pray. Father, as we close this series and we think about and ponder the question what a life of significance looks like for each one of us, I just ask that as we go, Father, that you would help us to see the people around us, to see the Amy's that surround us, that live next door, that work with us, that travel on the bus with us. Whoever that is for each one of us, God, help us to see them through your eyes. Help us to know and see how much you care and love them. Help us to be bold enough to step out and share our message, to love them, to care for them, to meet a need, to be you to everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen.